Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This program was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. Phone-in elements of these shows are not available, but if you'd like to comment or give us feedback on our shows, you can tweet us at Love Sport Radio. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Alternatively, you can find this and other podcasts on iTunes or Spotify using the keyword lovesport. They're an unruly lot in the studio tonight. <laughs> Crikey, what a start to the show this is, if you weren't already aware. The Leeds United fan show here on Love Spot. Me, Matt Beadle, joined in the studio, as ever, by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Nat Dufton with us for another week. Hello, Nat. Hey, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And a debutante, James Wood. Hello. Good evening, man. How are you? Good, thank you. Great to have you on the show. The boys are packed, packed in. We've got plenty coming up we're going to be reflecting on that <clears throat> defeat to Sheffield Wednesday last weekend plenty to talk about there no doubt a bit of a transfer watch we've got Gary Devonport on from the Talking Shut podcast one of my faves Flo Lloyd Hughes will be joining us from the QPR podcast and of course your listener questions will come at the very end of the show just a quick update from the championship Fulham leading Middlesbrough 1-0 at Craven Cottage Anthony Knockart with the goal there Fulham in third spot of course if this continues in the way that it is they will be just four points adrift of Leeds United. We'll get onto that and plenty more. But first, John, the opening stat, if you will. Ooh. I didn't forget it this week, mate. Yeah, well done. Kiko Casilla. I've got a Kiko Casilla oh, stat. I know you like gritty. Uh, Kiko Casilla has let in 76.47% of shots on target faced in the last six games. Right. Okay. That's a lot. So 76.47% of shots on target. Oh, okay. I ha- sometimes I have an issue with goalkeeper stats okay. just because of how you can measure those stats. Now, what are the... You saw, you saw the game, the, the goal against Sheffield. The, Sheff- Sheff- the opener. Yeah. yeah, Murphy. Yeah. So that one was an error. <laughs> okay. Right? The second one, no. No, no, no. So what I thought you might have dug into a little bit more with these stats is the old XG. Post, post-shot XG. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't done that because I don't have the post-shot XG uh, figures um, for, for our, against us. I, I have Bamford's, but, but not against us. But I don't know how that is. But yeah, I think I think everyone would agree that Cassie has actually been quite poor uh, in terms of um, shots faced. That said, there is the... Uh, there's an extent to which and we talked about this a lot that the, the way that Leeds play if they lose possession when they're in attacking transition so when they're moving from defence into attack uh, they leave themselves exposed um, for example uh, I put out um, a thread on, on our Twitter feed this uh, this morning that sh- that shows the fourth goal that Birmingham scored where uh, Alioski lost the ball and then they, they just flew through the um, they flew through the, down the left left hand side again and, and scored. So I think there's probably that probably plays into it. I think he probably faces better chances on average than most keepers do in the championship. So that probably plays into it as well. Mm, it does. 
I would say it definitely does the fact that he does face better chances. <laughs> Listen, I, I agree with you, and I think that his form. I mean, gents, would you would you agree? Casillas' form in, in in recent weeks hasn't been on the best that it has been earlier on in the season. I think he's been at blame for some goals. I can think of the Birmingham game where he just ran out of his goal and left it open. Um, like you said, the Murphy thing um, against West Brom, that was he missed his punch and they scored. So there are those errors that come from the keeper, and that doesn't instill confidence in the defence in front of you. But again. You know that Nui goal was that was a great finish. So it's, it's those that sometimes as a keeper you just there's nothing you can do about it. But that's the thing. It's like the ones you'd expect him to save, he doesn't save. The Murphy one at the near post, like against Fulham, Cavaliero picks out top bins, world class save against West Brom. Matt Phillips through one on one, he gets the ball. It's like he misses the ones that he should easily save, and he makes world class saves when he wants to. And that's the really frustrating thing watching him as a keeper. It's like there's no consistency with which ones he saves and which ones he doesn't. Like a keeper for the cameras. He, as soon as the cameras are on, he's like, right, I'm going to do an amazing Hollywood dive now. Well, this is an yeah. argument that gets gets labelled a lot of goalkeepers. David de Gea being one of those, of course, as well. But with goalkeepers, as we know. Often it's your your faults, your flaws that are highlighted as opposed to the things that you do that no one really notices. But I do understand where you're coming from with Casilla. The first goal against Sheffield Wednesday, yes, that was his error. The second he couldn't do much about. So let's actually focus on the game itself, gents, because what happened? What happened last weekend? I, Yeah, weirdly, I actually only managed to watch the, the second half live um, for various reasons. And... I didn't think we were, every, every, all of my friends who were watching were like, we've been awful, this is terrible, you know, it's just another one of those games where we, we, we just we, we just sort of faded out of the game, we don't look great. Um, I didn't think we were that bad, um, and I've re-watched the game since, the whole game, and I didn't think we were that bad the whole time. It's one of those things, again, where it's frustrating because you feel as though that first goal is a goal that should never have gone in on a number of levels. Uh, Stuart Dallas takes a poor touch, for example. Uh, I, I don't think um, Liam Cooper covered himself in glory. And then uh, and then there's the shot straight through Casilla. And it's one of those things where once that goes in, you kind of think, well, that's that. Like, Who cares that it's 2-0? They, they score a good goal later, no denying that. But at that point, like Leeds, Leeds weren't looking like they were going to get the draw. So I think it's just one of those things where... We we are so fragile in those scenarios. We don't score enough um, in those games, and we and we concede. It's it feels like ease. We, we make it easy for oppositions to to concede to to score against us. And I think that's what is frustrating for the fan base is that we put a huge amount of effort into control games, and then all it takes for us is just one one mistake, and and that's it. I think it's as well that we had the chances to win the game. So you have got Harrison from Phillips free kick. You've got Bamford at the near post. It's a weird thing to say, but it feels like if it's Sheffield Wednesday getting those chances, that that goes in the mm. back of the net. And they didn't seem like the sort of team that if we'd gone 2-0 up, they were going to roar back with a comeback and, and get back into the game unless we let them. Mm. And it's because we get the story of the season is we had the dominance, we had the chances, don't put them away. And then we get hit by what's a classic 1-2 combination. Of second goal, Ailing is pushed up, trying to get a counter goal and trying to get an equaliser. There's a massive overload for them at the back and they get a you know fairly well-worked second. Mm. Um, so... Yeah. I'm also not one to to talk about refereeing decisions, but I thought the the chance that the uh, the Leeds chance that immediately preceded their first goal was Bamford was just being bear hugged by by the, the the defender, and I think that it, it is quite frustrating. I think especially when you watch a lot of the Premier League football, when you would expect um, a, a, a penalty for that kind of. I mean, the, the, the defender's behind him and he's got his arms round him and. Bamford gets his head on the ball, but there's no denying that that it, 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 you can't head the ball mm. <laughs> freely when you when you have someone holding on to you like that. So there's little frustrations like that where you kind of think if that if that if that is given as a penalty, and it's not, obviously it's not always, you're not always expecting that to be given. But if that gets given as a penalty, it's one nil to Leeds, and then the narrative entirely switches on its head. You kind of think, well, you know, people will start saying, oh, it's a, another game that they ground out, but you know that's what teams who win the championship do they have to grind out results and so I think the frustration for us comes from the fact that it just feels like it's on a knife edge all the time it can go one way or the other and then the narrative just completely flops depending on which side of the fence the the the, the pitch the, the events on the pitch go so it's it's hard work being a Leeds fan at the moment I think <laughs> I think I think it's a bit brave to say that we get a penalty and we definitely score that <laughs> record with penalties over the last few years I also we had the offside goal which I mean we watched live together and yeah not offside it wasn't offside it, it, it went through and it immediately went up and we went there's nothing wrong with that and they showed it back and it's like yeah he's perfectly onside and 
benefit of the doubt is what I've always sort of thought it was and that wasn't given yeah so if that's another team is that given is it because it's Leeds that it's not given oh what are we saying there have I just dropped the agenda bomb (laughs) (laughs) I'm stepping well back from this I don't think I don't think Leeds are punished by referees or the EFL Sean Harvey's gone now it's fine (laughs) that's definitely a dangerous road to go down in terms of rifts uh, fellas I know this isn't really a thing but Calvin Phillips was quite vocal on social media this week wasn't he saying that mm-hmm. I'm, we don't need to listen to, to what everybody else is saying about us I know that certain fans are suggesting that the players aren't happy with other players in the squad it was alluded to the fact that he might have maybe had a bit of a riff with Kiko Casilla we name him again he denied that he said I'm not saying it was lies it was just made up, which I couldn't quite understand between the two there. But he has come out and said, look, we're all fine. We know that we go through a sticky patch. Everything's OK. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things you've just got to acknowledge as a player, isn't it? Like, you know that at some point during the season, your keeper is going to make an error and that's going to cost you a goal. And, you know, that's almost the cost of being a professional football team. You know, there are keepers that go through entire seasons without making mistakes. But, you know, they're playing for Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich. They're not playing in the second division for Leeds United. Um so I, I wouldn't have thought that that would have been the reaction. And also I wouldn't have thought the manager would accept that as being you know, the reaction. You've got to accept that everyone in that team makes mistakes. Everyone, Calvin included, has made mistakes. Not looking Forrest away last year, getting himself sent off. What an idiot. Um, but Still not over it, no? N- no, no. <laughs> or Jack Robinson's blatant red card that wasn't given. Yeah. Just... Or being 2-1 up and not able to hold the lead. Yeah. yeah. Or 3-0 <laughs> up and not being able to hold the lead, yeah. Oh, oh. God, yeah. <laughs> John, I often pick up things throughout the week and send you a message about those particular things. Now, I can't remember the person in question on this occasion, but it was with regards to the argument that perhaps the players are now suffering from the fitness regime that Marcelo Bielsa puts upon them. You don't buy into this. I think it was Dave, was it Dave Prutton, maybe, who said it, yeah. Uh, I don't buy into it because I don't think the the evidence backs it up. And, and Marcelo Bielsa likes to say, you know, we have all of this data that we keep um, we were monitoring the players on the pitch all the time. We they they have their their vests on that's monitoring heart rate and and et cetera et cetera. I don't I don't know the full extent of what they're measuring, but they're measuring more than more than just the basics. And he's 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 adamant that you know they yeah they keep them on the cusp of like of, of fitness. Um, and and sometimes obviously it goes wrong when when players get injured. But he said there's no evidence that last season was a fitness thing. And I don't think I think it's clear to any Leeds fan watching that Leeds issues weren't fitness issues. They were they were clearly psychological issues. There was we we dropped off a cliff because suddenly it just became really hard to win because we were like we should have really be winning in this situation. And now we just everything seems to go wrong. And 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 we got into that mindset where. You know, it just makes. We've all been in that. We've all played sport, and we've all even even the level that we do. I mean, if anyone played golf, for example, you you play golf, and some days you just can't do anything, and you can't seem to get anything right. And we just had, we just. I think that's partly because as soon as, as soon as things become, um, as soon as you become aware of what you're doing, it becomes very very hard to to, to, to do things. And I think that's kind of what happened. My theory about the the Leeds fall off is that Marcelo Bielsa took a squad. He finished thirteenth, got them challenging for the title. None of those players had been really in situations where they had to deal with that kind of pressure before and, and it, I think it showed we had young players we had players who were, were playing for mid-table teams and, and actually when, when the crunch came they weren't able to, to deal with it psychologically and hopefully that won't happen again this season Okay, fellas, before we move on, I just want to touch on, and I'm going to do myself down a bit here because I've often said on the podcast, on the show over the past few weeks, come on, fellas, it's 11 points, you're all right. And then it was, come on, fellas, it's nine points, don't worry about it, you're all right. And then it was, it's six points. And now if Fulham win today, it's four points going into tomorrow. Where are you guys at with regards to the current state of play? I mean, the last time I was on here, you remember I was wonderfully pessimistic and I, I'm I'm right, so that's great. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. Um, it's a long season and Championship, was it 19 games to go now? It's a slog. It really is hard. And I think when push comes to shove, the quality in the team should show us through. But like you said, the mental resilience of the players, it's it's really on their heads. And ironically, it was this time last year, it was QPR away that things really started to go off the boil where we lost 1-0 uh, and there's that picture of Bielsa on his haunches in the QPR hall and it's I, I feel like this is the perfect game for this time in the season show what we did last year bounce back beat him 3-0 something like that and you know show that we're the better team this year and that we can do it 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's that belief that things are going to go wrong that actually sort of makes things go wrong. It's that you can already sort of feel the, the, the tremors amongst the fan base. It's the, oh no, here we go again sort of thing. Um, and it actually made me think of on a com- touching on a completely different sport entirely. Um, but the Leeds Rhinos team um, got the grand final, won loads of trophies every year, and every year they would not get the first score. And there's a story about Jamie Jones Buchanan, one of the players in that team, and it was they went behind. And he said, oh, they were all gathered behind the post. They'd just gone behind first like two minutes. He was like, don't worry about it, lads. We never like get the first try, but we always win. And there's just that belief that things will come good. And at the moment, it feels like we've got the opposite thing going on. Like we could win tomorrow, we could win uh, against Millwall on the 28th. And you know, there's still that, that nagging sense of uncertainty. The first time we next time we lose a game oh well, we're definitely staying down and it's one defeat creates that that belief I think it's not helped as well by the fact that the turning point was being 3-0 up against Cardiff and then giving away that 3-0 lead to a team that were, were absolutely terrible mm. and you know you, you as a Leeds fan you just never feel as though you're, sh- you're safe and I think when, when you have that sort of psychology like behind it it just means that every every game is going to be treated as oh well you know we got through that game but then there's the next game we've got to we've got to win that if we don't win that then you know we can be three nil not three nil up and 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 not convinced we're going to win that as well so it feels like everything becomes really intense everything every moment has like a heightened significance for for Leeds fans and, and it just makes it quite difficult I think difficult indeed we've got plenty more coming up here on the Leeds United Fan Show next up we are going to be talking shut. Giving your team a voice. Love Sport Radio. It's the Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me and Matt Beadle with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Nat Dufton is in the studio today with us. And James Wood, a debutant as well. Just quickly before we move on, we've had a WhatsApp in from Vernon. And Vernon, we love you too, mate. Thank you very much for your kind words. And next, we have Gary Devonport on the line from the Talking Shut podcast. Hello, Gary. Good evening, lads. You all right? Yeah, great, mate. Thanks for coming on this evening. I'm going to start with a quote from John McKenzie, which he's just <laughs> given on this very show. And he said, as a Leeds United fan, you never feel safe. Do you feel safe, Gary? Do you? I think I think John's got a point, to be honest. We've, um, <clears throat> we've sort of been burnt and cheated on that many times. We trust nobody. Um, but I think I think the current sort of run of forms and the current angst amongst the fan base, I think, is a little bit of a... Um, accumulation of things, the fact that we've only got one senior striker, the the manner in the games that we've kind of thrown away, if you like, the Cardiff one which I heard you guys talking about earlier, and the fact that on Saturday we were fully in the game, um, you know, we were the better side, and then typically, in the way it has been all season, when we've lost our drawn games, we shouldn't have drawn, we get sucker punched, and, and that's kind of enough for the other teams to go and, to go and get what they need to take away from us. Hey guys, John. Um, I just wondered how how your audience has been recently. Have you have you got the sense from your fans that uh, there's a lot of anxiety and, and worry going around? I think it's a bit mixed, John. To be honest, I think there's the you know the the optimistic stick with it, you know, believe the process kind of thing, and then there's the the very much pessimistic, you know, if we don't get a number nine in, the world's going to end. Uh, that kind of, that type of thing. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say any different than normal. I mean. I think the thing I've learned in a past life is that Twitter's only a only a sort of a snapshot into the Leeds United fan base. Mm. Um, so generally, if I drop on a Leeds fan out and about, I, I always like to engage, and particularly if they're not on Twitter, to get their sort of feeling. It's, it's sometimes easy to get the pack mentality on Twitter when it's all going wrong, you mm. know, without believing what everybody else is talking about. Hi, Gary. It's Nat. Um, I was just wondering how you feel about... You just mentioned Twitter there, and I'm thinking one of the things for me that I think has a massive impact on the players is Elland Road. When things aren't going right, it's... I mean, it's an amazing place to be when everything's going brilliantly, but when it goes wrong, it goes quiet so quickly, it turns. How? What kind of effect do you think that has on the players on the pitch? Um, we've actually brought us up a couple of times to, to players that we've had on, and some of them sort of don't pay lip service to it. Like, you know, we don't... We don't really pay a great deal of attention. They're very much in the game. They don't really, you know, sort of feel like the like it's having any effect on the game. But I do think you're right in what you're saying, particularly lately. Um, the Cardiff game, for example, once they got the the first, uh, it went quiet on Saturday again. Once Sheffield Wednesday scored, and, and we missed a, a raft of chances, it went it went quiet, and a little bit of angst started to, to start to creep in. And you know, <clears throat> players will play it down, but. You can't say that it won't have an effect. You know, they'll they'll know from coming out for kick off when it's absolutely roaring that it's it's not roaring so much. And you know, I think there was a there was an instance on Saturday where Kiko's received the ball and he could have played it for a quick counter attack, but he didn't. And uh, there's some quite audible 
sort of moans and groans around him that he'd not played it. So, yeah, it probably does have an effect, but I think none of the players will admit the fact it does. Hi, Gary. James here. I was just wondering, do you think this thing with the back half of the season is not just this season or indeed last season? It's every year. I remember a couple of years back, we had the Man United game at Old Trafford, 10 years ago now, and uh, we sort of fell apart in the back half of the season. People blamed it on the cup run, and, and last year we fell apart in the back half of the season, but we didn't have a cup run. Is that just a, a thing that happens to us every year, or, or why does it seem to happen um, that we always get to, we're always the, you know, the winter champions and uh, you know, come, come April at squeaky bum time? Yeah, there, there does appear some form of uh, sort of second half lethargy, if you like. Um, I think some of the performances recently have, have kind of brought that to bear again, um, going flat uh, in games. But I, I can't really put my finger on it. I mean, we did a, a talking show. We did a show about the um, about the League One promotion season. The um, the collapse after the Man United game was 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 pretty biblical. To be fair, um, it was probably more uh, biblical than last year's collapse were, uh, but with obviously differing differing consequences. Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of the players you you, you speak to or you, you, you're around said that they learned from last year that, you know, they were going to take every game as it comes, they weren't going to get ahead of themselves and all that type of thing. But it does appear to be a bit of a problem. Uh, but I think probably a psychological sort of mental problem. I, I don't know how much last year the Dan James saga sort of didn't really help uh, and Spygate rumbling on for so long. Um, it kind of left us flat and then we never really came back from that. And then obviously injuries. I think literally everybody were injured. I think the week I was talking shot maybe 28 injuries or something. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I mean, you know, we, we, <clears throat> we're talking about this now because of the run of results we've had and, and, a, and a disappointing defeat Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, beat QPR 3-0 tomorrow. We, we're, we've got a run of three games that we could take maximum points from and suddenly everything's rosy again after that. Are you fed up of the transfer market sagas yet? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's one of the things, isn't it, that it's... You can't help but look because you want to know, but when you do look, it's massively frustrating. Um, but what do you know yeah. as well, Gary? You say you want to know, but ultimately we don't really know anything because it's just full of absolute nonsense, hot hair and guff, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to sort of filter out the the decent stuff from the from the, the terrible stuff. And obviously we've got, we're fortunate that we've got Graham Smith and Phil A and, you know, you know, big leads reporters if you like who can give us the truth um, but it's funny how every uh, every January and every summer transfer window your uh, freelance journalists appear with about four followers and a stock image <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very seen reason, right now yeah <laughs> for some reason we start believing him uh, and I, I can never really get my head around that but yeah it's fine because we can confirm that Victor Auto has, has driven to Hull, packed Jared Bowen in the back of a black transit van that's currently on the M62. And that'll be on Sky Sports News in about 10 minutes. So. Did, did you not yeah. see the tweet last night of um, Angus Kinnear in a train station and somebody spotted that there was a train to Hull in about 10 minutes and they were like, ooh. <laughs> I think, oh, come I think on. there's also one to Plymouth as well. <laughs> what do you think that we will end up with in, in the market? You, do you have hope that they'll get that, that backup striker that we need? Yeah, I think... Uh, both from a from a player's perspective and also from a fan base, the, the club will be well aware that, that that second striker needs to come in. That that there's there's much more than just the ability to obviously have a striker come off the bench. It'll go some way to alleviating some fears and you know maybe give the players a lift. You know, and you get a new player in and around. You know, it gives you know the players a bit of a lift. I mean, they're talking about the young lad from Man City, uh, Perveda, I think he's called. Uh, ironically, Ian Perveda, which always makes me laugh a bit. Um, <laughs> I think by the sounds of things, he, he probably is going to come in and Leeds kind of had their heart set on Shea Adams, which I'll be honest, for a short period of time, I had the heart set on Shea Adams as well, but it doesn't look like that one's going to come off. So it'll be interesting to see what does come off, uh, to be honest. And just with regards to the window itself, Gary, do you like the January window? Because we have a lot of fans who come on here and, and some say, oh, we should, it should be extended back up to March the way it used to be back in the day. It's only January because of Sky Sports and Jim White absolutely losing his mind <laughs> on transfer deadline day. Are you a fan of the January window or do you wish that it was just abolished? Uh, I just wish it were abolished, to be honest. It's just become a, it's become a bit of a joke and it, make, it, it forces clubs into doing deals that they probably wouldn't do, like ridiculous figures getting banded around just because it's January but it's just been it's just been commercialised on it to the to the ninth degree you can't turn that certain sports uh, station on, on on Sky without there being some sort of 
transfer update and a lot of the time it's just stuff that they've read on Twitter that they're just regurgitating. I mean some of the some of the links you see during the January window are just nothing short of ridiculous. I mean the the Bowen link to Leeds yesterday. Um in my eyes that's purely about Hull generating interest in Bowen because they stand to lose him for free in the summer. Um and from what were reported in the press, although a lot of clubs fancy him, nobody's actually put a bid in. So it's a bit convenient to then link Leeds with a three million up front and then fifteen million in summer, pretty much the way that the Che Adams deal was was structured in a way to kind of force a bit of a a bit of a sales uh, frenzy, if you like. So yeah, for me, I'd uh, I'd get rid of it. I, I think it. I don't think it's great for the for the sport, and I think it's just been commercialised to, to death now. I completely agree with you, boss. Before you go, mate, thanks for coming on yet again this evening. But QPR up next. What are you seeing is going to happen in that one? Um, I think it'll be a tough game. Um, they've been indifferent. Um, I think they put five pass. They put five pass someday, and then six pass someday. Maybe Swansea, yeah. Swansea, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you know they're not going to roll over and, and let us tickle his belly. And I mean, I think if we get ten, fifteen minutes into the game and we're controlling things, and I know it's Leeds United, but we take our chances, then we've got more than enough to beat QPR, even though it is in London and we're not doing very well in London of late. Um, so yeah. Tough game. Um, they've got you know attacking threat. Um, it'd be interesting to see what he does at left back and what he does in the central midfield. Um, but yeah, I think you know, if, like I said previously, we've got a run of three games here that we should really, if we're looking seriously at promotion, be looking at maximum points from from all three games. Gary, thank you very much for joining us, boss. That was Gary Devonport from the Talking Shut podcast. With regards to transfer rumours, fellas, if you need a striker. Eddie and Ketty is free, isn't he? Arsenal. <laughs> he's, not, he's not going anywhere. Uh, I honestly don't understand the logic behind that. He's gone back there. They've got Lacazette, they've got Aubameyang, they've got Martinelli. He's gone back to be the fourth choice striker at Arsenal. You know, get a couple of minutes in the cup. Now he probably have played more staying with us than he would have done going there. So, and in, yeah, I mean, um, Lacazette started in the FA Cup against us, and and Martinelli came off the bench. So, yeah, you've got to imagine that he's not even going to get time up yeah. in, in the cups. <laughs> and it looks like Arteta wants to play one up top. So with three strikes in front of him it doesn't seem to yeah. make much sense for move it's frustrating I think we've really been uh, done over by, by Arsenal really mm. um, you know there's a lot of people saying oh why, why why have we not brought anyone in yet but there's so much about the January transfer window that just makes it impossible to, to do decent business um, cl- clubs hold all of the cards in that kind of thing in, in that kind of situation and can drive the prices up and you end up just getting someone who you don't really want for too much and upsetting the long-term plans that you have anyway so yeah I think we, we assumed that we would have Eddie and Ketia for at least the season I mean Bielsa said he wanted him for two um, but it's not happened that way and now we're in the in the in the, in the mud because of it so seems bizarre doesn't it he came out didn't he this week and spoke about it as well Bielsa kind of hit back at Arsenal we're seeing this with a few clubs Conor Gallagher now has gone on loan to Swansea hasn't mm-hmm. he he was on mm-hmm. a season long loan at Charlton Chelsea recalled him within their rights which is what Arsenal are to recall Eddie and Kessier I suppose within their rights but Chelsea recorded him and then he's gone back out on loan to another championship club it was weird that we were at the Charlton game and he was the best player in the park he was brilliant and yeah. uh, you know, at that moment I looked at him and thought hang on I'd have him we've got in- injury problems why don't we have him in midfield and I don't know why we haven't, you know, sort of barked at Chelsea and said Chelsea don't like us. Oh no, that's why. <laughs> oh, Frank Brown. Lampard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've yeah. ended a few careers, haven't we, for yeah. Chelsea? These <laughs> Lovely stuff, gents. It's QPR up next, of course. Uh, Flo Lloyd Hughes will be joining us from the QPR podcast. We've all got one, and we're not afraid to put it on display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter, or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio, your fan station. The Opposition View on Love Sport. I was panicking there. Did you see me? <laughs> I did see you, mate. Calm down. A bit, a, a bit of a longer segue than I was expecting. <laughs> it's okay, mate. It's all good. We've all got it under control here. <sighs> on the Leeds United fan show, that was John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Just slightly panicking about us coming back in on air. It's me, Matt Beadle, joined by John, Nat Dufton and James Wood. Right now, we are going to focus our attentions to the game this weekend against QPR. Now, QPR have won four of their past five home games against Leeds in all competitions, chaps. So... This will be an interesting game this week. And Flo Lloyd Hughes from the QPR podcast is going to talk to us all about it. Hello, Flo. Hey, guys. Great to have you on the line, Flo. Now, QPR, a couple of good results, then a couple of not-so-good results. have got decent form against Leeds, you'd, you'd like to think. As I've just said, 
over the the past few seasons or so. How do you see this one going? Uh, I think it would have been going better if uh, Leeds hadn't been on a bit of a a, a poor run because for this season, what um, kind of the form has told us is that teams that aren't on a good run come to Loftus Road and uh, and change their season. So that's the only downside. But like you said, we have actually got a couple of good results against Leeds United recently, which um, historically uh, hasn't always been the case, but we've actually had a bit of luck. And, and that 1-0 home win last season was kind of Steve McLaren's last hurrah before he got sacked a couple of weeks later. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling, you know, I'm not feeling as bad as I did um, with the Brentford game when I kind of knew we were going into that and we were probably going to get turned over. So I'm feeling semi-confident, I'd say. So just to confirm, Flo, sorry, you're saying your reservations are because Leeds are not playing too well at the moment? Exactly. Brilliant. So <laughs> this, season, this season, whenever a team comes into town that aren't playing well, we're the ones who get them back on track, basically. That's been the case throughout the year. Is If you want a good pick-me-up, head to Loftus Road and that'll change, that'll change your situation. Hi Flo, it's John. I've got a question about Eze because obviously you have, well, throughout the season you've been playing a couple of formations, but you've basically landed on the the four two three one with Eze playing out wide on the left. Um, a lot of the time in the season you actually played a back three, sort of three five two, with him in the middle, and he was quite dangerous there. I think he was in that position when you played uh, Ellen Road in the in the um, the earlier fixture. How do you think Eze's been since they moved him out left? Do you think that's been a bad move for him? No, I think he's been okay. He's been mixed. I mean, against Cardiff and Swansea, we won six one and five one. He, you know, he didn't. I don't. He didn't feature in the Swansea game, but in the Cardiff game, he was fantastic. And I think in the Brentford game, it was hard for really anyone to get on the ball mm. because Brentford just—they were a much better team all round. So I think he's still effectual in that position. Things to worry about are, are the four. I mean. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Basically played it centre-back on Saturday for the first half and uh, was completely lost of errors and then slipped into a defensive midfield run, which is obviously more his form a lot better. The fact is, is much more the problem, I think, QPR's attacking midfield three of chair are I think we've lost the line there with Flo Lloyd Hughes of the QPR podcast. We're going to try and get her back on. But gents, are you, I mean, are you buying in essentially to what what she's saying there, Nat? I mean, the the idea of being a team coming there and not performing and getting a result. I mean, I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, I've seen I have seen a couple of times teams do go there and they do kind of turn up and I mean I really hope we can do that but we'll see you know it's a game I never enjoy we never enjoy London we've been to London games this year and won nothing so yeah yeah it's one of those things I think every fan says about their team I remember like Millwall playing against us uh, a couple of years ago and they were on like a 10 game losing run and obviously they beat a set Ellen Road I think it's just something everyone thinks like QPR are not themselves 
on a bad run, as she said. They've scored a lot of goals, but they've also let a lot of goals in. They can't defend. So it feels like it's the sort of game that is not going to be easy on my nerves, um, particularly with Kiko letting in every shot that goes near him. So shoot from 40 yards and be my advice to Naki Wells. Um, but yeah, it's one that certainly if... It feels like a game that's set up for us to do well out of, given their defensive frailty. Yeah, I mean, they've conceded more goals than anyone apart from Barnsley and Luton, and they've um, only been outscored by West Brom, I think. So I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think there'll be goals in it both ways. And uh, yeah, it could... I I said in our tactics preview um, this week that I put out on our feed, expect it to be Birmingham away 2.0 because I've got a feeling that it could just be a, a frantic game played played backwards and forwards I watched I watched the Brentford game um, back and it was it was an interesting one I think I mean, obviously, obviously Brentford are a great side they're looking really good at the moment they've got confidence they've got momentum but the, the, they didn't they, they scored the goals very quickly early on in the in the in the first half um, they didn't look particularly um, world beating I didn't think from that they, they scored from a couple of set pieces and etc and um, I, I thought, you know, QPR gave a good account of themselves. So I, I, I think that that result. I think people have, have jumped on the Brentford bandwagon, and I think, I mean, I've been, I've been on. Do you them. think it's a bandwagon? Do you? I think it is, but I, but, but only because. Only because what we are always have to be aware of in the championship is that is that teams always go on runs of form. No team plays like like last season. The two teams that went up started off quite badly and and came back into it. Um, all teams, I think, have runs of form, and the question is whether or not Brentford are on a, like a purple patch or whether or not they've actually got a sustainable run going which will last for the rest of the season. I'm not entirely sure that that's the case. I think they've um there's been they've had a few away wins where I think they had a red card. I can't remember the the game that they had that they had a red card really early on and and they, and they got the win away from home it was there. Bristol Ashley Bristol, Williams yeah. decided he didn't like Ollie Watkins anymore and just, just yeah, yeah. It was that was I mean you have to give credit I think to Ollie Watkins in that sense because Williams had clearly gone into that thinking right I'm going to roll this lad up. Yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. get him sent off and Watkins was close to biting. If you notice when Williams ran off Watkins was giving him the verbals. So Williams didn't win it. He clearly got in his head but Watkins, yeah. fair play to him. No, of course, and and that's that's that's. I, I was going to say game gamesmanship, but I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word. For me. It's cheating, brink, brink cheats, cheats, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dean Smith. Um, but you know that's a that's a game where they they obviously from that point on they they dominated the game. We we said all the way through the season that if Brentford could sort out their away form there's just a big discrepancy between their home and away form, um, and so it will be interesting to see. For example, they've got Huddersfield away tomorrow. That's the sort of game where you know if your away form isn't quite up to it, you could easily lose. So I think we're still at a point where I'm not convinced that they're entirely on the sunny uplit slopes all the way up to the the Premier League. Um, And I think, you know, there's still still a way to go yet. So I I think we we need to to hold on a little bit. We we ended up talking about Brentford. Well, I was going to say, yeah. The the opposition view, yeah. Which opposition? I'll I'll be sure to feed that back. We do have the Huddersfield (laughs) fan show later at 10.30. We're going to have a Brentford fan on the line. So I'll be sure to feed that back, John. There is one name here, gents, that we're all neglecting to mention right now. And that is someone who could be given his debut for QPR this weekend. I don't want Jack to do it. <laughs> I feel like they've bought this. They've, they've deliberately pushed for it for like a shock and awe factor. They've like, what is it? They signed him yesterday. Yeah, come on. That's, that's mind games. He will come on and guarantee, especially if we're winning, they will throw him on just to see what it does. Just to like get in the players' heads, that kind of thing. And, and he will do something. I know it. Yeah, yeah but he's, so I'd be disappointed if he did because he's been at the club with us now for two years training with the first team he's been up against Luke Ayling for that entire time he's got one trick which is cut inside which he best uses from the left up where he'll be up against Ayling so uh, you know the, the, the thing we saw with him at, towards the back end of last season is that he came through and people suddenly started to wise up to what he was going to do he'll roll the ball towards the corner flag and then try and cut in and get across in so you know Luke knows what he has to do. All he has to do is show him towards the corner flag. He's very one-footed, and it, everything should be fine. Um, but yeah, there is that you know that worry that oh, it's a former player playing against us. Therefore, they will obviously come on <laughs> and do something. Um, the reverse know. Iron Robin. I think yeah, it is. exactly. Which did not happen when we played them with Rob Green in goal after we left like the season, but the, the summer before, and we shipped three. Like there's no like series of world-class saves to keep us in the game because obviously that's what former players do. <laughs> Jack Clark worried, John. Nah, no, not worried. No, I, Jack Clark was never. Oh, I, I shouldn't say this, should I? Because it, this is just going to bite us, isn't it? But he was never. He was always a shadow of his his former self after he had that um, that viral infection that he had. Um, and I can't. <laughs> maybe maybe the 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 effect of actually having the the a game against his former club 
where he has the he has that just extra oomph behind him. Maybe he'll pull something out. But um, in terms of like looking at it in a balanced way, I don't think that Leeds should be worried about him for the reasons that James says. Like they know how to defend against Jack Clark. They've been doing it in training for years. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm not too worried about that. Okay. Well, to finish, it has been just over 25 years when Marcelo Bielsa last lost three consecutive away games against one opponent. And that was when he was manager of Atlas and the opponent was Santos Laguna. So let's just hope it doesn't happen tomorrow against QPR. Listeners' questions next. Love Sport Radio, the station giving fans a voice. The Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Nat Dufton and James Wood in the studio as well. Nat, do you want to just repeat what you said in the ads then about tomorrow's game? I said we're going to get beat. Definitely? Yeah. Right, brilliant. Okay, we'll move <laughs> swiftly on. Uh, on to listeners' questions. <laughs> right, I don't like this negativity in the studio, chaps. Come on. I'm come right, on. though. I was right last year and I'm right this year. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to the game with you tomorrow. Should you stake around on that? Yeah. Oh, um, there we I go. Stake around on that, yeah. yeah. Okay, sound. The stakes That's my, I can cry into my point as I win it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's listeners' questions now, chaps, and I enjoy this aspect because it's interaction and we love that. And uh, if you want to send your questions in, of course you can to at Love Sport Radio 2. Do not forget that. But we're going to start with Tom Woodhead. He said it feels like we've been better this season when facing two strikers and playing three at the back with Ailing in that hybrid centre-back slash full-back role than when playing a back four against a lone striker. Any truth in this or just warped perception? Um, I don't know if I agree with this. I think we've struggled with some teams who've played in a sort of 4-4-2 and, and gone for long balls and, and, and a sort of gag and pressing approach. I'm thinking Huddersfield in particular uh, causes a lot of problems playing in that way. So I don't think it's necessarily the the, um, the, the, the setup. But having said that, in the in the month where we, we had a wonderful run, I think it was September, we had five wins in, in September, November. Is that when Bielsa won Manager of the Month? Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we played 3-3 one three almost exclusively through that through that run and I think that makes a big difference partly just because teams aren't used to playing against that kind of approach I think um partly because uh, it's it's another it's 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 just a while I was watching I watched Palmer Roma yesterday and uh, because I'm a hipster and um the the Coppa Italia was on and um Pablo pa- Paolo Fonseca mm-hmm. had them playing in a basically a three three one three and I was like Palmer just don't have a clue what they're doing here. They have no idea what they're playing against, and I, I, I have, I just think that teams in the championship when they come up against Leeds playing that three three one three, they're just like that. We do this weird thing we talked about. I remember your eyes sort of misting over when I tried explaining how Stuart Dallas was playing as as a right as a sort of right wing back, but he was dropping into a left full back position, yeah. like when we were when we were in possession and stuff. And yeah, it's 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 quite a, it's quite a crazy formation. So I think maybe that's partly to do with it. Um, also, I think. If you're if you're playing two strikers, you're playing probably one fewer midfielder, almost exclusively, unless you're playing uh, three five uh, two. But yeah, if you're playing if you're doing that, then Leeds are going to dominate in the midfield areas anyway. So you're sort of making it a little bit easier for them as well. So you when you're when you're asking a question like that, you just have to think through like why why might that be the case? Um, is it simply the two strikers, or is it something that happens further back down in the in the structure of, of what's going on? Agree with that, Chas? I, I really don't. I think in, against two strikers, we've tended to struggle a bit more. Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday away, Charlton where we lost, Millwall. Um, the only game I can think against two strikers we were really comfortable with is actually QPR at home, uh, where we sort of held them back and they had a lot of. They actually had more of the ball than mm. we did, but all in their own half where it was completely useless. Two strikers are always going to be. They're always going to be playing the ball in the air high, and we know that we struggle against that. Right, it's, that's the sort of corollary of us being bad at set pieces as well. I think you know. So I think two strikers can cause us problems for sure. If I'm correct as well, it's not Ailing that drops in, it's Phillips drops back from his defensive midfield role to make that sort of auxiliary back line yeah. when teams... Well, it depends. It depends, it depends if, we, if we set up as a 4-1-4-1, sometimes he will drop in between and then they'll form what's called a situational back three, which is he's only there really when we're in possession of the ball. So it, it does depend. But we have played, played a few times with, with White on one side, Berardi and, or Cooper and then... And then Ailing as a sort of outside mm-hmm. centre back as well. It, it it does depend, and I, I just think we we also had that run during a very, um, I think it was quite an easy run of fixtures, relatively speaking, um, and we 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 play off that seven wins in a row as though as though that wasn't like a, a, a probably an easier run that we we had. So I think that probably impacts it as well. The fact that we played that back three against probably easier opponents probably means that we did 
play a little bit better when we were were up against um, two strikers in that in that scenario. But yeah, the, there was plenty of games where we where we like you say there's like the Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday away, etc. That where we really did struggle with two strikers. Okay, a bit of transfer chat again, fellas. We've kind of covered it already in the show, but we'll just quickly go over it again. This is from Mark Thompson. James, I'll come to you mm-hmm. on this. If you were in Auto's shoes, what would you do? Would you wait for Adam slash Gray until later in the window and hope they become available? Risk it on an injured Dwight Gale, get a Connor Wickmore or Glenn Murray for numbers, or take a punt on a foreign signing? Um, I'd wait for the right player. So... I think at this this time of the year, money sort of burns a hole in the fans' pockets. They want to see some see some money go out the door, see a player come in, regardless of whether it's the right player or not. Um, and it's not about bodies. It's not a case of we don't have a person to play up front. Jack Harrison's played up front for us. Tyler Roberts, when he's fit, can play up front. Ryan Edmondson is in the 23s. If we need a, like, a fit human to play striker, they are available. It's about whether that person will do better than that alternative. There's no point paying money for someone if they're only going to be as good as Ryan Edmondson out of the academy is. Um, so I wouldn't pay money for somebody who doesn't fit Bielsa's system and it's easy to say oh there's there's one fit striker what happens if Bamford you know gets injured but equally you know what if we sign you know Brits on Belonga Dwight Gale they walk in the door you know twang their hamstring and they're immediately out for the rest of the season you can't legislate for that kind of thing so Dwight Gale has already twinked yeah exactly so um, I don't think it makes sense to to pursue a player for the sake of to to sign somebody for the sake of signing somebody essentially like it's got to be the right player that will fit within Bielsa's system that he'll actually use and give minutes to okay we'll finish the transfer chat now shall we we'll move on uh, actually we've got one more uh, and I like this one this is from Panda Beta this is with the likelihood of Bournemouth getting relegated and Leeds getting promoted being pretty high would you recommend trying to get Lewis Cook back how do you think he'll play under Bielsa 100% I'd have Lewis back in a heartbeat um, he's that kind of creative number 8 that Bielsa loves He, I know he's um, from what I remember he's got a strong tackle his range of passing's really good uh, yeah, he, he fits the Bielsa mould as a midfielder perfectly. He's very dynamic, very athletic, and he's a Leeds boy. And, you know, I'd have him back home, yeah, 100%. I, I can, I, I agree with you. I can see how he'd fit into the system. You sort of see him as a, as a for-sure clitch replacement. At the same time, I do think, at the, this kind of the, like, Eeyore-ish, boring side, but because it's Leeds back in the Premiership, Leeds buying back the family silver, we'll end up spending a lot more on him than he's actually worth just to do that because it's such a PR clue for the club. Like, if he signs for, I don't know, West Brom or Norwich or some other team that's like mid-table in the Premier League because Bournemouth have got relegated it's oh you're just buying a midfielder if we go back up and buy back Lewis Cook it's we're taking back the future that should rightfully have been ours and therefore we can you know stick another 5-10 million on the price just to do that it's a very good point well made there James I have to I'm, say I'm usually the last person in the world to be like yeah we should bring X player back but I, I actually do think that Lewis Cook would, would be a good buy for, for us he, like you say fits the system um, he's he is He's a local lad, so yeah, whatever does that, whatever that means, I don't know. But um, he was also in John McKenzie's team of the decade. Yeah, if I remember that's, true. that's true. He was, and he was, he was exceptional um, as a as a seventeen year old playing in League One as a midfielder. Like I, I just, he's still the only reason I got through those seasons. Um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little bit misty eyed, etc. But I, I think he's he's what we need. He's the the worry I think would be his injury proneness. Um, he's just he's just rumbled on with injury problems so we've already got injury prone midfielders who are very good so um maybe we don't need one but yeah i'd, I'd love to have lewis cook back in our in our team okay a couple more stats based bants now john murray obviously conversion of chances stats are not great to look at compared to most teams in the championship but compared to last season are we performing better or worse john I think Nat said he wanted to answer this one, didn't he? <laughs> we'll I have no nothing to say. I've got absolutely no idea about these stats. <laughs> I've got I've got the uh, the stats here. So Y Scout has us on 43 goals this season from 409 shots, which is a conversion rate of 10.51%. Last season we had 76 goals from 767 shots, which is just under 10%. So it's uh, 9.91. So we are slightly better than we were um, conversion wise this season. But for reference. Uh, this season, West Brom are top scorers with 50 goals from 344 shots, which is a, a conversion rate of 14.53. Obviously, the higher the number, the better in, in this one. Norwich finished last season with 93 goals from 659 shots, which is 14.11%. So we're down on the on the conversion rates from other teams, but we're slightly up from uh, our conversion rates from last season. 
And what's the APR on those, mate? I'm not I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, mate, if you ring Matt, he will sort you out. <laughs> it's uh, it's fascinating, though, those particular stats, aren't they? So regardless of what people actually think, it's there is a slight improvement this season. Yeah, but I think it's minimal, right? It's the difference between just under 10% and just over 10%. So, yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they're better, but like, it's still, you're still 4% off what, what, teams who are actually have a decent conversion rate are at and you probably want to be one of those teams if you're if you're vying for promotion so yeah same old problems what the explanations for why that might be the case are, are any, anything I don't know really because we it, I don't think we feel like a team who shoots from distance so it's not as though we're taking um like lower percentage chances um I mean obviously there's the narrative that Patrick Bamford misses easy chances um but you'd have to do a little bit more di- di- uh, digging beneath the surface to find out more. Um, I was going to look at box shots because we talk about box shots a lot. Obviously, a box shot is more likely to be scored than a non-box shot. So if you have a look at conversion rates and with respect to box shots, you should have a much better sense of, of whether or not Leeds are just being uh, unlucky or whether or not there, there are um, shots from outside the box, which we, we shouldn't be taking. But I mean, Stuart Dallas has, has his fair share of terrible... Um, terrible shots. So. Alioski puts those over the bar as well. Yeah, well, Alioski can, can miss in the box as well. So yeah. I don't think it makes too much of a difference. But yeah, I think that there is a worry with our conversion rates. Um, we because we, we are all about creating one a, a large volume of shots, and we are all about creating probably better chances if we can. Um, so yeah, there is there is concerns about the, con- the conversion but, rate. But that's endemic to the team though, and that was endemic to the team not just when Bamford came in. I remember when he came in for the West Brom game after mm. Roof had been in the team and said, Roof never misses his chances, but we've got Bamford and he's fit now and he's going to put like, every single chance away and he's never really done any better mm. than he did in that first West Brom game back. So The stats last season as well on Roof were that he was about equal in terms of conversion rates with, with um, Bamford as well. So I think there's this there's this whole narrative that we... That we miss the Bamford misses great chances, but I don't think Roof was much better. What Bamford was bad at, bad at was if you look at what's called post shot XG. So post shot XG takes XG and then looks at what you do with it after you've taken the shot. So it looks at where it's going in relation to the goalkeeper and basically analyzes how good the chances are on that basis. And um, Patrick Bamford was down eighty. 80% on that so 20% on that so he was basically one in four chances he was well, one in five chances he was uh, making significantly worse so he's he's improved on that this season so he's actually technically a better finisher this season than he was so. but, but the cause of our, our, our sort of poor run of results over the last few games uh, aside from you know poor refereeing see Fulham uh, was um, is, is the, the defence and the problems there like none of the chances that Birmingham had were particularly good Fulham get a lucky ricochet in the box uh, Wednesday it's a keeper error it, it's tightening up at the same back. with Arsenal as well Even the yeah. Arsenal goal was like a deflection like, yeah. into the feet of a player so yeah, yeah. It's, it's that tightening up at the back that, that we've got to do we've talked a lot about midfield as well the midfield is really important um, because I think the, the defence is under pressure because the midfield isn't as controlling so Gents, it's been nothing but a pleasure having you here for the hour. Just before you go, a score prediction. Now, I pretty know, I'm pretty sure I know what yours is going to be, but we're going to come <laughs> to you anyway. John, I'll begin with you. Uh, I'll say 2-0. Oh, crikey. Don't Who be too, too enthusiastic I'm, about I'm it, going to leave it. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll win 2-0. We'll win 2-0. 2-0. Nat? Uh, a really sad 1-0 loss. 1-0 loss. Uh, 3-1 to us 3-1 there we go James Wood that is why you're here on the show for (laughs) your it's been fantastic we'll be back next week 8pm on Friday Leeds United Fan Show we'll see you then thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio for more go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts news and views or for more follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. 
At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon.